Well, good morning to you. Take your Bibles. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. We're going to continue in the scenario and in the situation where Paul has confronted Peter. And we're going to get clarification this morning a little bit more into what took place there. Okay? So Galatians chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into our text this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, as we worshiped you, we just emptied ourselves of, of everything, and we've come to you. We seek out your joy. We seek out your wisdom. God, forgive us when we've sought out our joy and our wisdom and tried to apply your name to it. I pray this morning as we look at justification and we look at the way at which you save, the way you call us clean, the way you forgive, I pray that there would be those that are here this morning that will hear directly from your word and your word alone, and there will be freedom. There will be joy. It would be a greater understanding of who you are and what you've done, not what we try to do. Help us see from your word. Help us see from this context and this situation the very real and troubling situation that we find ourselves in regularly. Help us be renewed by your truth today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, how many of you have glasses? Let's look around, right? You just put them on, possibly, because you're going to read your Bible, right? Okay. So the first service, same thing, right? It's like, get your Bibles out, and people are like, first glasses, and uh, then their Bible, right? Um, I was born at an early age, just pretty much like you guys were, uh, roundabouts the third grade. Uh, the teacher kept saying, like, you know, your son puts the book right in his face, and when I ask him to read from the board, he won't do it, he goofs off. I'm like, well, I'm not a bad kid, I just couldn't see it. I, I needed glasses, so they sent a letter home, hey, you need to get glasses. And I'm pretty sure my parents knew, because me and the TV were like, you know, this. Like, this would be the TV, and I'm like, hey, this is good. And they're like, back up. And I'm like, well, I can't see it then. So I go get glasses. Well, I don't just get any glasses, though. If uh, you are a fan of Facebook and you follow my mom on Facebook, uh, you'll see the photos of these glasses that my dad chose for me. And I wore them because I had to. I couldn't see. I couldn't see well at all. Now, some of you all have varying different prescriptions. Um, a couple weeks ago with Ethan, we're out of dinner, and I was like, hey, let me see your glasses. And I put them on. I'm like, hey, not too bad, right? It was a little different. It kind of felt a little clearer. It was kind of weird. I was like, hey, that's pretty good. Not bad vision. My vision was that if I had taken them off, if it was in this perspective, I would know that the ceiling is bright and the floor is dark, right? There'd be a couple of blurs of color and maybe I would make out the aisleway. But if I'd never been here before without glasses and stood up in the front, I would just hold on here. That's how bad it was. I started to play soccer, played basketball. When I was playing basketball, it was nonstop frustration with glasses. I had no peripheral vision. Every once in a while, the ball just hit me in the face because someone would throw it from the side. And I was like, oh, I didn't see it because I hadn't turned my head yet. So my parents were like, okay, let's get you contact lenses. Go to get contact lenses. I have astigmatism. You know what astigmatism is? That means you have a football for an eye, not a, not a ball. So they were like, oh, but there are these new contact lenses. They have weights in them. It will bend and help curve your eyeball. They cost more. They're more expensive. And my parents went ahead and did it. I wore them. Every time I would blink, the contact lens would slide until I just got used to it. And then it eventually corrected enough that I could get regular contact lenses. Great. Contact lenses were good. 
Uh, I was a regular high school guy. I would wear the disposable lenses as long as possible before switching to a new pair. If they fell out, you, all right, put it in your mouth, clean it, put it back in your eye, right? <laughs> if you have contact lenses, don't do that, especially after you've eaten, I don't know, pretty much anything. It doesn't work well, right? But I was not a good contact lens wearer, nonstop getting eye infections or having dry red eyes. I was constantly in the mornings with the defrost on, uh, my eyes would dry out and I would blink like crazy. And that, that went on till about 2003, a couple of years into marriage. We lived in Tennessee, Ashland City area. And uh, we were at the video rental store, not Blockbuster, just a regular storefront video rental. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we would go to a store, rent a movie, take it home, watch it, and then bring it back. Some of you are like, what? That seems so out of the way. Right now, we just pull out our phone and load it, and we're good, right? But at the cash register where you would pay, have a membership or whatever, there was a little cardboard box that said, you know, sign up for free LASIK. Not questionable at all, right? Just a little box. You fill out the thing, put it in. I'm like, well, hey. We had agreed, like, it's kind of expensive, right? We've looked it up. It's expensive. So it was like, all right, well, try. if you win, I guess you can do it. So I got the call. Like, hey, you're a winner. You didn't win it for free, though. But you got a discount. You get a discount. You get a huge discount. Kind of like some of those furniture store discounts. Like, you go in there, and you see a couch, and it's $10,000, marked down to $2,000. Then it's 80% off, and it's $400. And you're like, that's the best deal ever, right? That's kind of what they did. But I don't know, whatever. So we went, and uh, it was a legitimate place. It was in a medical center. It wasn't like random set-up shop somewhere with lasers, right? It was real. And uh, it was about $2,000 to, to get LASIK done. And I did it. And uh, extremely nervous, because I thought, typically when I do stuff, it goes wrong. Good usually doesn't come up certain situations that I think would. I go and lay on the table and go through the LASIK procedure, which some of you are very... I, sensitive people, I want to explain to you all those details. If you want to hear it, I'll tell you later. Because it's really cool how it all worked. Right after it was done, though, blurry vision, bad. Right? They said for about a day and a half, uh, as your eye heals, then your vision will start to get clearer and clearer. So the next day, I couldn't drive, couldn't do anything. The next day was Sunday, went to church. Uh, I worked in a warehouse pulling orders for electrical equipment. And I had to wear goggles to not get dust in my eye because you cannot touch your eye. You can't rub your eye. You could damage your eye. So a little bit of discipline there. I look like a weirdo going out into the warehouse. I got these, you know, you know, generic ski goggles on pretty much. But that's what I had to do to maintain that. So then clarity, okay? Every morning I was the first person in. The store would open at 530. I'm getting there before that. I make all the coffee. Right? I don't even drink coffee, so they didn't teach me how to make the coffee. I make three pots of regular coffee, one pot of decaf, and I make the popcorn. So that every day the guys would come in, they'll have all that. And so I would stand there, and as I would make that stuff, I would look across the other side of the store, and there were various ads on the walls for whatever demo, different stuff. And I could see the big letters, I could see some of the smaller letters, but I couldn't read what was at the bottom. So then a couple of days later, I would do that again. I would look over and be like, oh man, it's not going to be like 2020. Two weeks, three weeks, I'm like, man, this is kind of frustrating. Like, I don't want to have to get glasses. I just paid money to not ever have that again. Uh, so I just kind of stopped looking. I just kind of figured, oh, well, you know, it's better than it was. I mean, my glasses were thick, right? We would go. We would pay extra featherweight. We would pay extra for minimized lenses. And they were still huge. Had I not paid for all that, I have no idea how much my glasses would have weighed. Bad vision. Now it's corrected. Three or four weeks later, I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I look over and again, I'm like... 
Man, I can see the entire advertisement. I can see crystal clear all the way across the store. Then I start really paying attention to stuff. I'm like, I can read that way over there. Look at all this. It's, it is 2020. This is the dream. This is what it's like for most of you that wake up in the morning and just go about your life. Man, it was so long. It was like, wake up, reach over, put your glasses on, or get up, go put your contacts in, hope for the best, get a new pair, do whatever. And now I'm starting to look around and I go, oh, there's an outlet over there that has a sticker on it. And there's a reference to where it's, you know, whatever electrical, I can't read that. They told me about 20 years, you might need glasses again. So it's been 21 years-ish. No, that's bad math. I don't, so it's, it's been a while, but it's coming, right? I'm starting to realize I might need glasses. And I realize I'm bad at math, so. But when I look at my life and what LASIK provided, it provided clarification that really changed my life. What we look at this morning, the title is The Clarification of Justification. We have to clearly be able to see everything exactly the way God says. We have to stop listening to what other groups, other religions, and other things have showed us. When we're done this morning, we're going to know all the more clearly how justification works. Peter had forgotten that. Not completely, but enough that he was condemning people. And he needed clarification. Paul continues as he's talking to him. Peter needed clarification. I think we need clarification. We need to be constantly reminded. The next few months as we're going through Galatians, you're going to go eventually, oh, justification again, huh? Justification again? Huh? Okay, I got it. Justification, I get it. And you may, this morning, you may fully be resting in the fact that in Christ alone, you're born again, only in and through Christ. But you know what? Your neighbor may not be. Your coworker, your family, there are people in your life who are struggling and thinking, I'm not good enough. I've still got to work. I've still got to earn. I still have to follow. And we need to bring that clarification to them from God's word alone. Not just our church, not just me, not just Pastor Brian. It, from God's word, we go to them. So this morning, as you're writing out the notes, as you're writing down different references of scripture, you need to go back to them regularly, okay? Now, from the justification aspect, there's a lot of New Testament terms that are very similar that we see throughout Scripture. A lot of the verses we're going to go to, we're going to see justify, justification, the just, the righteous, the righteousness of Christ, those who are righteous. Justify is a mega word in Christianity. Luther claimed that justification by faith alone is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. Calvin referred to it as the hinge upon which everything turns. If we get justification wrong, we ruin Christ and Christianity. We ruin it. Do you have a bad door in your house that is hanging on a bad hinge? In my grandmother's house, the house we first lived in, I think all the doors had that possibly. The front door, you had to be He-Man to shut it and to open it. Why? The hinges had wore out. It wouldn't lock properly. It would just hang weird. It was a constant frustration. That is not the picture we want to represent of Jesus. 
I think it's Jesus, but then it's a whole bunch of constantly frustrating things. It's not. The doctrine of justification was what was at the heart of the Reformation. And it is still at the heart of Christianity today. Is it Christ alone or is it Christ and uh, something? Understanding the doctrine of justification is important for a Christian. Now listen, I know some of you may not be the type of person that says, could you use bigger words and quote from huge books, that will make my day. Right? Does that not make you happy? Like this, the clarification of justification which leads to proper sanctification. Right? I just threw another big word out there and you're like, whoa, I'm almost out. Calm down. Can we go back to just slow? Let's keep it simple. And we will. Okay? Understanding this is important, but you don't have to be a theologian to understand where you go to Scripture and hear the declaration of God to you. Okay? First, one of the reasons why we need to do this is the knowledge of justification and grace will motivate us to good works and spiritual growth. Sanctification is spiritual growth. If you believe you have to save yourself, you will up and down fail. You will up and down have successes on your own merit and you will become frustrated and you at times will give up on spiritual growth because you think it's up to you. But it's wholly up to and in Christ. Also the fact that justification is a finished work of God means that Christians have assurance of their salvation. In God's eyes... Believers have the righteousness necessary to gain eternal life. Because of what Christ has done and finished completely, you have in Him all you need for eternal life. A person who is struggling or has struggled to grow as a believer may be held down through legalism. It makes him or her believe that it's up to them to be saved. But once we understand that it is only in Christ that we are saved, we have freedom to truly live. We have to settle this issue. We have to settle this issue enough to be bold in love and go to others and proclaim in these passages we read today, this is what God says. Once a person is justified, there is nothing else he needs in order to gain entrance into heaven. Since justification, since justification comes by faith in Christ, based on his work on our behalf, our own works are disqualified as a means of salvation. Now listen, there's a lot of other religious groups out there claiming the title and name of Christianity in all types of shades of blue. The darker the blue, the more that's required of you. Lighter shades of blue, maybe not so much. Various churches claiming the name of Christ. It is Christ and you got to do, have, or be in some way, shape, or form. Then there are other religions who preach a salvation through a working up to something. See, what Christ does is he cleanses at the beginning and you're righteous. What religion will teach you is you have to get to cleansing and get to righteousness. There's a huge difference. And this clarification from Paul is going to settle that for us. We need the clearest understanding possible because of all the shades of blue, here comes Christ and his word. It's red. 
It's the only religion that is completely different that states clearly it is not us. It's God alone who saves. It's not of works that we do. It's not of favor that we earn. It's only and solely in Him. So as you're sitting here this morning, if you are confidently aware of that and you are resting in that, do not tune out. Because your neighbor, your friends, your coworker, your families are needing this freedom. They are struggling, they are striving, and they don't need to because God has already declared. So this morning, like I talked about LASIK, it just it became so clear. It was so fun. It is still fun to wake up and not have glasses. It will always be that way. We already talked about it. Uh, well, let's see how expensive it is. Can you do it again? I'm sure you can. I don't know. We'll see. Might be cheaper just to get me some glasses while I'm reading. It does match some of the other changes. Like my hair color, right? You just, you're getting older. That's how it goes, okay? We get there. We're going to go verse by verse. Each verse brings a little bit more clarity. Each verse gives a little bit more explanation. Our first point this morning, Paul's five clarifying statements. The first one is this. Justification doesn't allow you to sin freely. That is the problem that was discussed last week. It's the problem that most people who have grown or know of in their faith background, you can't just get something for nothing, right? Where in our lives does that work at all? How many of you don't go to work but still get paid? None of us. How many of you don't work hard but get more rewards? None of us. How many of us can come to faith in Christ alone and trust in Him and be saved and forgiven completely? All of us. But it kind of, we wrestle with that. Like, really, really? You mean I can just, what? So then I could just pretty much do whatever. That's what that person may say to you. Oh, sure, so you, you're forgiven, so now you just go be a jerk all the time. Now you're forgiven. Now you can just go do whatever you want. You'll be forgiven when you're done. Same problem then. Verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Now, let's unpack a little bit more our definition of justification. We have to make it personal because the easy thing to do is always go, well, everybody, yeah, right? You could look around the auditorium and go, they need justification, my goodness, right? But we're going to make it personal, okay? To justify in the Bible means this. To declare of you when you're on trial for guilt, which you've committed, and punishment you deserve, okay? To declare you when you're on trial that you are not liable to any penalty, but you are entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law. Justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence of condemnation, but that of acquittal and legal immunity. You're a sinner. Bible declares it. You know it. We could have a great time probably walking through your sins. Some of us would be shocked. Others of us would be like, well, you don't know me and I'm not saying it. We know. We're not, there's not a person here that's like, wait a second. Not me, right? Maybe the person we all don't know, but as soon as we get to know them, then we're like, oh yeah, you're just like the rest of us. Okay, so perhaps the best way to understand this, this verse is, is to understand it this way. If someone who knows they are justified by faith commits a sin, 
Is it because justification by faith in Christ promotes sin? Is us being forgiven alone by Christ with no works of our own, does that promote sin? Does that statement in any way, shape, or form in your mind make you think that means I can sin? It doesn't. Not at all. That's why Paul says, certainly not. But if someone who professes faith in Christ keeps on with the same sinful lifestyle, rebuilding the sinfulness that Christ died to destroy the penalty for, making no effort to change, then it proves that this person never really grasped the gospel, but was just looking for an excuse to live in disobedience to God. Keep this in mind, though. Justification, the declaration of being not guilty of your sin, is not the same thing like God just swept your sin under the rug. That's a frustration for some people. You mean if... And they may think of an awful person who's come to Christ, a person who's hurt them, a person who's sinned against them. That person comes to Christ, and you mean that all that they've done or did was swept under the rug? Who is God? God is not righteous or fair if that's what happens. And I'm declaring it to you that is not what happens. I may have shared this illustration before, but when I worked at UPS, September 11th happened while I was working at UPS. No planes flew for two days. All the packages went ground shipment, which means the area I was in was over and inundated with packages and extra people. So we would all take turns every minute or so. We would take the box and we would stack it. And then we would all come back and stand together and wait for the next package to come because it really slowed down. And I raised the question as I was trying to be like an evangelist, I'm talking, and I say, what if one of those men who killed the pilot, killed the people on the plane, then flew it into the uh, building and killed all those people, what if he like flew out the other side, just randomly somehow landed, and they caught him and found him, he went to trial, whatever, but before he was executed or his sentence was carried out, he called on the name of Jesus and said, God, forgive me for what I've done. I see you as my Savior. Will you ever, will you please forgive me? He calls on the name of Jesus. And I asked them all. I said, would God forgive him? All of them said no. No. The thinking is that Christ, he saves the good people. That, like us. America. God's country, right? God's nation. That's us. He saves us. A righteous judge cannot let a punishment just go away. Christ took your punishment. The righteous judge had an intercessor who came into the courtroom of our day of declaration of sin and said, I have forgiven them. I take their punishment. We look throughout the Old Testament. We see the, the cup of wrath explained in several different passages towards the unrighteous and sinners. We see it as Jesus is in the garden. He asks, Father, if this cup can be passed from me, but if not, not my will but yours be done. That cup of wrath that had to be poured out because that wrath was on sinners. Paul reminds us regularly, such were some of you. Don't forget that. Don't think that you're special because you're saved. But you're saved, and that's special, okay? And as you move forward, you realize Christ came, took what you deserved. Your punishment didn't go away. It went on him, and he didn't deserve it at all. The punishment went on the person who held up all the law perfectly. We did not. He did. 
certainly not is a statement of clarification. It expresses absolute denial. Is it, he's asking Peter, is Christ the one that's setting us up to sin? But in the context of all the people he's talking to, we follow the law, therefore we are righteous. We follow all of, they didn't actually follow all of their own laws that they added to the people and it frustrated everybody. And here comes Paul clarifying, no, that is not it. And that would be the frustration in the context of the fight. You mean we're just going to do whatever we want and that'll promote sin? No, it doesn't. That's the certainly not. But if we are justified by faith in who Christ is, we are also not justified by who we are. The second point, the second clarification is who you are doesn't justify you. It doesn't justify you. Verse 18 says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Take your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we need to turn there together. We need to hear and see. So, as you're dealing with, maybe in your own mind, the wrestling of, am I cleansed? Am I declared righteous? Am I forgiven? You know Galatians chapter 2 is where you can go. And now you know Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Paul is saying from verse 18, he's saying, if I give ability to the thing that has come to an end, I'm a sinner. If I know that it's been torn down, if I know that it's been done away with, why would I go back and give it more abilities? It has none. Okay? If I rebuild what I tore down. Now, Philippians 3 is going to give us a lot more details to exactly what he's talking about. We'll start in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I mean, you think you're pretty good, right? Like most of you don't walk in here weeping because you're bad. Sometimes we walk in going, I'm doing pretty good. And that's a right thought. It's okay to have. It's not wrong of you to be like, I'm having a good day. No, you're not. You're condemned. No, it's not that. But if you were to say, like, uh, I know that God loves me, and you can, you can point to specific reasons why you know, Paul would say, but I have more, right? Here's what he had. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the people of Israel, not just the whole thing, uh, the tribe of Benjamin. We're in verse 5. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. What? Paul's even saying like, oh yeah, I was blameless to the law. You know you're not. You weren't even then, but you thought you were. Do you understand that thinking? Like if you think like, I'm keeping the law, I'm righteous. No, you're not. Paul can even say it here and realize, no, he wasn't. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I counted everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now listen to this. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. If it wasn't so, wouldn't you think here? It would say, the righteousness from God that depends on what? It's, it's faith. Faith alone in Christ. Verses 7 and 8 is not objective law. So I don't expect you to walk out of here and throw your driver's license away and denounce your citizenship from the United States because you have to count all those things lost. You've got to get it all out of your life. You're a homeowner. Get rid of it. You have a savings account. Get rid of it. Like, boom. Get rid of all of it. All those things. But you do understand God didn't save you because of any of those things. Where's God's country the most? It's the state of Texas, right? You can disagree and be wrong. No one cares, right? Because everybody in Texas is like, eh, we all know, right? God's saving people out of Texas because they were born in Texas, right? Oh, What does Texas have to do with uh, end times? Probably nothing. What did Texas have to do with anything before Texas was established? Oh, nothing in terms of salvation. But sometimes don't we think that foolishly? Like, well, you know, you know, I'm pretty good. God is good. I'm good. I'm doing good. Paul took all those titles and things, didn't objectively lose them. He was still those things. And that's okay. It's okay for us to be like, I'm an American. I love this country. I love the place I live. That's okay. But God didn't save you because of that. It's a subjective loss of value. If you think when we pray for those in Egypt or Iraq, do you think you're more deserving of salvation than them? Up front, you might be like, no. No, 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 listen. Remember when September 11th happened? There were people groups in that land who danced and cheered at our pain. Those people are just as worthy of Christ's forgiveness, and they need it just like we do. Even if you're just the good kid, even if you grew up and you're just like, man, I hardly ever broke the law. Like, man, I know good speeding tickets. I, I do everything I'm supposed to do. Uh, God uh, is, is, is for me because of that. He's not. You're a sinner. The book of James tells us that if we are guilty of one offense, we're guilty of all. See, we have this view that God's wrath is stored up for all those evil people, like the prison, like all those people in there. Man, there, that's where God's wrath is going to get poured out first. Could you imagine it would actually be poured out in a church first? Because we're the hypocrites in here saying, it's because of me. I'm good. Paul has understood what he highly esteemed as what was the reason for his salvation. He counts it all loss. He counts it as the garbage. Tuesday, if you live in Richmond, what do you do? Well, Monday night, because, man, at our house, it seems to come at 5 in the morning, right? You put your trash out. There's nothing in my trash that I'm going to be like, well, that was... My identity. It's in the trash because I'm done with it. It's over with. That's how we view terms of I'm saved because when we say anything other than the love of God is mercy on me. You say anything else, that needs to go in your garbage. It needs to be set out. It has no value. It has no purpose. It stands nowhere against the word of God. Verse 8 is what we're talking about, this true sign of a person who understands clearly justification. He says, I indeed, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. For some of you, that happened at the very point that you got saved. You were like, I have a savior. He loves me. He died for me. I have him. Others of us, we got saved when like five. God forsake me for throwing Legos when I was a little kid, like I did the bad. We've grown in time to understand it. The clarification came slower, but it's coming. If it's not coming, if it's not changing, there may be no justification in Christ alone. Okay? Now, if we are justified by faith in what Christ has done, we can't be justified by what we do. The third clarification this morning is what you do does not justify you. What you do doesn't justify you. Verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now he's not saying we don't follow the law. He's not saying we've given up on the law. It's for, the, for through the law I died to the law. What it means is Paul died to the law as a way of finding salvation. He died to the concept of I will uphold the law. If you try that, you get pulled over, let's say Monday morning, you're on your way to work. Officer, I've died to the law. It doesn't apply to me. I'm a Christian. If you do that, please record it. I want to watch that. I want to see how it goes. It won't go well. Neither does the thinking which some people would accuse believers of is that, oh, you don't have to do what you're supposed Yes, we do. But our motivation to do it has completely flipped from I have to do this so God will save me to God has saved me. I want to do that. He loves me and I love him. It's different. Okay. But what you do doesn't justify you. He died to the law. Romans chapter three. Write that one down. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. As you're dealing with loved ones, as you're dealing with co-workers, don't get into the argument of, well, here's what I say in my church, you think, I think, all these things think. Just be like, okay, well, Romans chapter 3, let's look and see what God says, okay? You've already been to Galatians chapter 2, 1 and 2, and you've already gone to uh, Philippians chapter 3, and now you're going to be like, okay, let's look at Romans chapter 3, because that person may still contend, contend with, i got to be saved because of this, okay? Uh, Romans 3.19. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. By what standard? God's law. Not my understanding or feeling of it, but God's law. Verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. How will you, knowing more laws, realize you've sinned more, become saved? Become forgiven, become cleansed. How does that work? It doesn't. That's the problem. Now, that was Romans chapter 3. Now, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by, guess, faith, we have peace with God. How? How do we have it? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 says, through him, that's referring to Christ, we have also obtained access by what? Faith 
into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Both of those passages, all of them, and all of Scripture, the rest of Galatians as we keep going through it, brings up the situation of justification and it declares it solely and only in Christ alone by faith. This is where you take your friends and family. This is where you have to go to remind yourself when you think because of your behavior, because of your sin, because of your current situation, you don't feel loved. We have to go to what God declares. Have you placed your faith in him? If you have, you have peace with him. You have all. Verse 19 from, uh, from Galatians, Paul is just a brief commentary on someone who is truly justified by faith will view life. Because Paul died to the law, he can now live for God. The implication is that before he came to faith, while he was trying to save himself through keeping the law, Paul really never lived for God. When Paul was obeying God without knowing he was accepted. He was obeying to get a reward for what he could get from God, not out of a sheer love for God himself. Remember, Paul kept all the law. He was doing it all. He was persecuting the church. He was doing all these things to know, I will have the best shot out of anybody of being clarified just by my works. And then when he came to the realization that it was not, it was different. We have in justification this opportunity to follow God's law from a place of gratitude and love rather than fear. Are you afraid to follow God's law? You are if that's what's condemning you. But once you're under grace, you're now loving to follow the law because God, through Christ, with the Holy Spirit, is enabling you to do the very thing he calls you to do. Now, once we've clearly seen that, the last two points will bring about the real difference of what the justification in Christ alone will do. Once we clearly see what Christ has done, there are life-changing implications. Number four, justification changes who you are. Justification changes who you are. In verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul died to the law so he could live for Christ. Justification is not just the mere sentence or the word that would give us the act of just receiving salvation. It is actually us being enabled to live out in the joy of our salvation. It keeps us from constantly thinking, I don't feel saved, I don't feel loved, to I am loved, I am saved, I am given what I don't deserve. Listen to this, crucified with Christ. You think this through. Christ went to the cross sinless. There's no guilt on him. There's no reason why he would be there other than that he's doing the will of his Father, which is in that point when we say, I am crucified with Christ, you know that as he suffered and died, that was supposed to be you. And if you have not asked Jesus to be your Savior, it will be you. Your sin, God's wrath, is stored up 
and will be placed on you for all eternity when you are separate from God. But those of us who come to Christ, we have that taken away by him. Dying to self and to the law. Verse 19, when he says that I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Now the way I live in the flesh is by faith in the Son of God. Whose standard are you trying to live up to? It's God's, not anybody else's. It's not mine. It's not this church's. It's not people's. It's God's. But we're tempted at times. If I want more joy or if I want more uh, feeling, I, I got to do, right? That's how we end up. So think about this. Uh, driving a bus, uh, we, we, we've talked about it a little bit, but uh, we don't have a lot, whole lot of subs to take our place. And, uh, you know, the bug, right? You heard of the bug? It's coming. It's going to hit us again. It, it does every year, right? That's all we're going to say about it, though, because it's gross. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want it to happen. But it always happens. It's like, what are we going to do? We, we don't have enough bus drivers. And then, man, when three or four drivers go down, like I did it uh, last year, I was three days. Like, you're, I mean, you're done. You're not, you're not doing anything. It's, it's awful feeling. But how many times have you gotten sick, went to the doctor, and he said, hey, you got the flu. That's all you got, the flu. But you're like, no, I don't know. I don't know if I do or not. I think I, think I might have something else. So you go on WebMD. You type in all your conditions. First thing comes up is this alert, infectious disease out of Australia. If you've been there, like, watch out. And you're like, oh, a friend of mine went to Australia five years ago. They bought me a gift. I just threw it out the other day. I touched it. I've got this infectious disease. What do I do with my life? I don't know what to do now. No, no, you just listen to the doctor. You got the flu. Do what you're supposed to do. You'll be fine. When the doubts and the questions and the concerns come up, uh, will, will legalism help me? Will it help me if I do X, Y, and Z? It won't. How, how do I know if I'm doing it right? How do I know what I'm supposed to be doing? Here's how you know. You so much live in Christ, and you strive so hard to be close to Him and not other people's standards that you don't have to worry about it. You go to Him, and He declares you cleansed. He declares you righteous. You look to His Word in your relation with, relationship with Him, and He calls you into obedience, and you are loved. But sometimes you're like, well, wait a minute. Well, what if, what if, what if, what if? Wait, keep coming. Keep coming through this whole study of Galatians. And you're going to constantly be reminded, no. It's going to come up again. And it's like me saying to you, no. But if I, because then if they do, and then that's what happened. No. Sometimes we want to yell, no, like quit. Other times we're like, no, right? You, you ever train a dog? Your best intentions up front. No, no, no. Right? You're like, no, no, no. After a while, you're like, oh, oh like you just yell. Right? That's how we feel. That's how we get. Sometimes that's how we would get with each other. But we've got to be patient. We've got to encourage, teach, and instruct everyone so that when we read like Paul says here, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why? Because he loves you. Do you hear that? Write that down. He loves you. Why would he do that? You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. No, he loves you. Look at all the things Paul did. Uh, you didn't do that, right? And he loves him. We look at other people and we go, but God loves them. Yes, he does. He's the one who matters. We follow him so closely that we won't see anything else. 1 John 3 
16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Don't you think that means eventually in some way, shape, or form, you've got to stop holding your standard of what a righteous person looks like based on where you come from, where you grew up, and what you think. You have to let that go. It happens all the time with various anything, right? Our standard of how we believe it should be becomes the doctrine of which we think we should function in. But we can't because we condemn people that way. What was Peter doing? That was the thing Paul came and said. That's what you've got to do. You've got to be able to come to people in love and say, listen to me, here is what God has declared as sin and here is what you're doing and you need to stop. God's word. Not, I'm going to come to you and let you know that uh, I'm so thankful that you tucked your shirt in this time when you were preaching. Oh my goodness, it was so much better. Some of you didn't even notice. Some of you didn't care and some of you have never cared. But some of you were like, I the shirt's not tucked in. I don't know if I've preached up there. The shirt's not tucked in. Right? The only reason I chucked this shirt in is because it's really long and it looks kind of weird when I don't tuck it in. If I'd wore a different shirt, it might have not been tucked in. I might have had a sport coat on. Glad I don't have a sport coat on right now. It's kind of warm. But are you supposed to have a sport coat on? You're supposed to have a tie on? You're supposed to, you, 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 you supposed to? Oh, if I live by your standard, I guess I will. But I have everybody's standard to live by now. How am I going to do that? Hope for the best? Do it all? No, but in love, I tell you, that doesn't matter, does it? If I had a suit on and came up here and told you everything about what wasn't in the Bible, would you be satisfied? By your standard, you should be because I wore what you wanted, right? No. We would come to the Word of God and say, what did he preach in? I don't, what? I don't know. I mean, he had something on because we would have known if it was the other way. It would have been <laughs> not good, right? So we get it. Once we clearly see what Christ has done, we do things differently. Let's look at our last point, number five. Justification changes what you do. It changes what you do. Verse 21 says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Nullify means to declare invalid the grace of God. It's to regard something to be set aside. The grace of God is never to be set aside. It is to be put at the front every time, all the time, through Scripture. Romans 3, Romans 5, Philippians 3, Galatians 2, Romans 7, Romans 6, uh, the Bible, right? We could say the Bible, but we need to be more specific at times. That is, we know it changes us. It's not through the law. If at any time you attempt to give ground or place to something other than faith alone, you make Christ's death, life, useless. But not just useless, you make it foolish. Tim Keller's example really hits home because you think about this. Your house is on fire. You wake up, you get up, you get out of the house. Your friend shows up and says, your house is on fire. I love you guys runs into your house and dies in the fire. You would be like, what is wrong? What was that? We're already good. Why did you go and die? I love you. Right? Like, what? That's how we make Christ if we're like, well, I mean, yeah, it was him, but then it was, you know, we got out. It's completely different when your friend breaks into your home to save you, saves you, but dies in the process. That's different. That's love. That's sacrificial love. That's us knowing that God died for us. Who saved us? Christ did. And only He did. If it wasn't for Him, what would we have? Well, we would have uh, tried something. 
No, you would have died. And you would be separated from God. Christ will do everything for you or nothing in terms of salvation. He will be everything or he'll be nothing. There's no reason to go to the cross. There's no reason for God's wrath to be poured out on him and then hope that we meet enough of the standard. Now it becomes a percentage game. You know, come to faith in Christ and bring your 75%. Because that's hard to do, but achievable to know you're saved. And then the guy that's like, I'm at 74.9. Nope. Well, that's not fair. It's either everything or it's nothing. Once we realize this, once we realize we can't save ourselves, once we realize we didn't save ourselves, once we realize we can't make ourselves righteous, and once we realize He has already done it, then we will truly understand how we can live. We will really know that Christ's death means everything to us. Every song we've sang so far, who did we worship? Who did we lift up? Who did we draw our attention to? Christ. We're going to take communion before we go today. Could you imagine taking communion? Let's remember what Christ did on the cross and let's remember what we did to make this happen. Isn't that a strange way to look at communion? If it's Christ alone, then that is all we remember. What did we bring to the table for our salvation? We brought our sin. And that was it. We didn't bring anything else to make it anything else. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us in our clarification of what you've done. For many of us, it's a constant struggle. It's a struggle in sin. It's a struggle with sin. It's a difficult thing for us. Help us turn to your word. Help us remember. Help us memorize. Help us say again, it's all you. You love us. You gave your life for us. It wasn't because we were better. It's because we were sinners. You died for us. Help us remember that. Help us move forward in a way that brings you glory. It brings you fame. It allows everyone else to see what you've done, not us. Let us be obedient to you. As we sing, I pray that during this time as we lift up and worship your name, your goodness, everything for you, I pray that the aspect of legalism that may be frustrating us, the standard we think we have to meet, the works that we may believe that we have to do, you will help us by the Holy Spirit's power feel that fall away. Help us to walk out of here in joy because you have cleansed us. It's in Jesus' name.